0: How are you traveling
1: yeah it was uh how am i traveling it's been an interesting few days actually um doing okay now had a good release session this morning for some um, emotional processing with a lot of things that are going on in my life but um it was good i'm feeling really good now got to some uh some time up in the sun always helps this morning yeah it's so good right what are you based at the moment
0: I mean, I'm just south of Noosa, so I'm in a little hamlet called Sunshine Beach, which is aptly named.
1: Mm, Beautiful, beautiful. And are you guys experiencing uh, any lockdown
0: restrictions there at the moment? Uh, We were locked down for a week last week. Last week or the week before? Week before. Seven days. Um, So that's the third i think third lockdown maybe fourth all it's become a blur and honestly everyone i've talked to so far in these discussions i go to pains to say i feel like we're blessed here because we're that little bit removed queensland's done really well yeah a few things have happened in brizzy where the majority of the queensland population is and uh, noosa feels it because when Brisbane locks down, everyone gets in their car and decides to come up to their holiday house. Mm. I guess the biggest trouble for people here is the lack of tourism, uh, which drives the entire economy. So locals are feeling the pinch, but there's not as much of a burden with lockdowns and isolation as there are in Melbourne and Sydney.
1: Yeah, I was actually booked to to head up to Cairns for two weeks Spend a week up in the Daintree as well, oh, right yeah, when lockdown. So we started here on um, a Friday. I was supposed to fly out that Sunday. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So, but it is what it is. That would have been my first time there. Have you been up to the Daintree yourself?
0: No, well, no. Uh, I've been to uh, well, maybe when I was 20, I went up to Cairns, Port Douglas, but didn't really get far away from there. I only had, oh, I think it was less than a week, a friend from uni, and I went, got out to the brief and um just did a bunch of really sort of local sightseeing i've got to do it one day i mean i'm so much closer now
1: i know right you can walk there <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's ridiculous so even like, i'm still investigating at the moment the um the noosa national park and sort of out to the headland um it's just so many little tracks that i i think i've seen it all and then i Take a left turn instead of a right turn, and there's this whole new area opens
1: up. Yeah, so. it, it feels like that in Australia. It's so large. I mean, I'm in a big city. I'm, I live in Sydney, but you know, you just head out a few hours, some places, and there are some beautiful, beautiful, magical places actually, mm. um, with waterfalls. I went up to this spot near in Minnamurra. Have you ever been down to New South Wales? Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. But, uh, I don't
0: know. Wait, I don't know Minamura, Did you say
1: Minamara, Just down near Kayama way Oh, okay. Ah, just uh, that was an experience. Spent the day there. It was a torrential rain, but I just toughed it out. Did the whole walk there. Rainfalls. It was a summer day. It was all these cicadas. I mean, cicadas, so loud. They are deafening, deafeningly loud. So it was good to, it was actually beautiful to experience them in their um, sort of habitat in that deafening. And then you can, I stood there and did a little meditation actually for about half an hour. And they just come in waves. So in meditation, we talk about these cycles that we go through. And cicadas have that natural rhythm, and they just kind of one. Yeah. You hear the you hear the silence, the dead stillness, and then one starts, and then they all start to a deafening uh-huh. point and then it kind of comes back. So, yeah, beautiful to the observe the rhythms aren't. of nature. Hey, wow. rhythms
0: of nature. Yeah, uh, that's one of the things that I love about just getting out into the bush is there's even when it's quiet, it's not quiet. Something's happening. There's there's an animal somewhere in the, in the underbrush. There's a, a bird tweeting in a tree. There's something going on. And then every now and then there's a chorus of tush, 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 tush. it's all happening.
1: Mm-hmm. Such,
0: a, such a, a lovely experience. And again, I, I, I say it all the time. I'm just blessed to be here. But uh, just to be able to, you know, I can walk 10 minutes and I'm, I could be in the middle of nowhere. Wow and it's just so centering to have that connection back to earth
1: Some I'm of melbourne, you know
0: i grew up in the mm. western suburbs of melbourne right not much out there it's kind of like um, suburbia and then you're well when i was a kid it was into farmland now it's all just
1: suburbia But there's suburbia. No yeah we've kind of lost that connection to land mm-hmm. and then you know you have all these uh I guess what you call a pandemic of sort of mental illness and all these illnesses. And then every year there's something new, right. But we seem to not really be pausing to reflect on how we actually live our lives. And maybe it's that disconnection from nature. I mean, you could have whatever going on in your life, right. Whatever situation you're in, you got, you head out into nature and there's always that sense of relief you're more grounded, you're more centered, you have a lot more clarity. And so what is that inherently telling us mm-hmm. to begin with? So right I'm definitely looking... I uh, actually got a... I did set out a 12-month, but could be up to 24-month. I feel like 24-month is a bit lot, uh, too long, but hopefully within the next 12 months to move into a place where yeah, it's a little more remote, mm. much more connection to nature. Yeah. So...
0: Yeah, there's a shift going on. Uh, sea change, tree change, all of those changes. I mean, that's what we did here. My wife and I, we were holidaying up here for about a decade. And then we just said, well, what are we? why do we go home? Why is this not home? You know, this doesn't make sense. Why is this not home? So a you know, bit of work, a bit of stuff sorted out. And then it's home.
1: Oh, that's amazing. And how long have you been there now for? uh where are we five and a half years right and you and probably haven't ever. once looked back
0: no no oh i couldn't i couldn't so, live in so- a city now i don't think i think i would really struggle i think i could do if in a different time i could do some travel again and get get back to new york or london or one of those really big metropolises and really enjoy the energy there for a little while and then i'd need to come back to the quiet mm i don't know what it is there's something about it there's just
1: something about it yeah and it's great that you know we have the technology now which you know can sustain us to be able to work remotely Mm -hmm. Um, so how how have you found that the technology uh or in the line of your work because i noticed you're you're a hypnotherapist as well you work what's your line of work how about we start with that (laughs)
0: <laughs> I'm going to get interviewed on my own podcast as
1: well.
0: It's going to come out like a like a video brochure and an audio brochure. Uh, yeah, hypnotherapy is one one aspect of what I do. So it's more the clinical approach to people who feel like they need a therapeutic uh, intervention. Let's say the language changes for people. So I never feel like I'm fixing anyone because I don't ever feel like anyone's broken. But sometimes hypnotherapy, people will jump in and that's what they feel will help them. But I've, uh, since the lockdowns and pandemic and people being unsure about who they should see for what when it comes to mental health, because it can be quite confusing as to who is the appropriate person to see for uh, X mental challenge. Uh, And a lot of misconception about hypnosis in the community. And, and even, I mean, I have a, a great example of a friend who, when I was studying, went to all of my close friends and said, can we do some sessions together so I can get some practice and some confidence up? Because as you would well know, when you're confident as the facilitator, that wears off on the people that you're helping. And so we did a session together. Hypnosis was something completely different to what he expected it to be. But then he still says to me now, when you say hypnosis, I think of mind control even though he knows that that's not what it is, right? So my my work now is moving into wellness coaching. So I've done coaching before as a fitness instructor, business coaching, and I've done therapy. And now I'm moving into wellness coaching, which allows me to bring in all of the stuff that I've done previously, being a martial artist all my life, being involved in health and fitness, being uh, uh, in Chinese medicine and all these different things, as well as the mental health aspect of it. And that was the mental health bit was a bit that was always missing from my, my process and my practice was I can tell someone how they can eat better, how they can move better, how they can sleep better, how they can do all these different things, productivity, ding, 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 start ticking off lists. But if this isn't tuned up here in between the ears and the rest of it, 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 it doesn't work. So that's the work. And this podcast that came out of me wanting to scratch my itch and be the, the, not the smartest person in the room and talk to folks like yourself and learn about their experiences and what they do. And then people will listen, they'll get something out of it and I will grow as well.
1: Yeah, I love that. I would love to know what inspired, I just to let you know as well, I've had uh, extensive um, sessions in hypnotherapy. I oh, okay. feel like it is one of the most powerful tools mm-hmm. um, available and the shifts are so immediate. Yeah. uh, in terms of the way they kind of un- the unfolding after the yes. sessions. Uh, so some of my most biggest breakthroughs have been through hypnotherapy sessions, but I'd love to know what inspired you. How did you come across it? How did you discover it? Cause it, it, it's one of those things where yeah. we, we get into, Oh, it's, you know, am I going to turn into a chicken, right? What, exactly what's exactly this person right. going to make me do what's, and there's a, there's a level of deep trust, mm-hmm. um, between you know the patient or the client and, and the hypnotist.
0: Well, I. The short short is, my, my experience as I move forward. Makes me, further develop the belief that, all, journey work, therapeutic work, personal development has some aspect of trance involved in it. So yoga, like when you're right in the middle of it and you're really relaxed and focused on the posture, the movement and the breath, of course, you know, we'll come back to breath and yoga, right? And you can speak to more. My experience with yoga has been if the breath ain't in there, nothing works. But to get in there, it, it's, it's almost like what, um, what popular psychology would call flow. Mahaley Jiksa Mahaley wrote that great book flow. It's on the bookshelf there. I refer to it all the time. And I would say that's a trance state when you're in flow, when everything is just going right, you watch professional sports, people, they get into a state of flow. There's some, there's some kind of trance going on there. Um, and that was always attractive to me. This idea of there's something going on at some level people are tapping into something that I don't understand. And I was always cynical and a bit skeptical and hypnosis looked, I suppose the same as what it does to other people. Maybe it's invasive. Maybe it's a trick. uh, Maybe it's too good to be true. So I fell into it. My business coach had gone and done some work. And this is a long time ago with an NLP coach. And I started to understand how those processes worked, not understanding trends. So I went and did a 14 day deep dive course into NLP. And I come at the end of it and I've got a certificate in hypnosis. And I'm like, I don't understand how I am now, I'm not qualified, but I do have a piece of paper that says I've studied hypnosis. What's that all about? Push that to the side for a while. It's, I don't mean, I don't want to think about that right now. It's not where I am. And then, Move up to Noosa connected with a gentleman up here who ran one of the local hypnotherapy clinics. And he was saying, he he was saying that the trance state is so close to where you are now. It's just a, it's just a a slight shift, but most people think that there's this huge amount of work that has to go on from getting towards from conscious to subconscious or from whatever our normal state is to a hypnotic state. And he said, "It's not. It's it's really quite simple." And then explained a couple of things. So I was, uh, I had one of those aha moments, and I thought, "Okay, I think this is where my coaching practice is missing something. I don't understand trance work." So I jumped into it, and at the same time, the people I was coaching started to fall away, and the people I was attracting started to be more about therapy, anxiety, overthinking, um, smoking, of course alcohol abuse all these things were popping up and I'm like okay there's something here so that's the short short answer of how I sort of I sort of fell into it it was really organic for a long time I pushed against it and it wasn't until I worked out that I was pushing against something that I really needed in my life and let that in that it started to flow Mm. I think I've managed to in a roundabout kind of way answer
1: your question yeah 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 I I, I love that Uh, the part about that trance state so what is uh, uh through your experience what is that state what and how do we sort of tap into it that what is that you know the flow state through sports or artists or musicians and
0: i was i was watching something the other day and it was a neuroscientist whose name i can't remember i wish i could and he was talking about the hypnotic state or the trance state being the only place where you can be extremely relaxed and extremely focused at the same time. And I thought that really explained it in a way that is very exact, but also gentle because it's, it's not confronting to be able to think about being relaxed and being focused. Cause we've always, we, we've all had the experience of both of those states, but maybe not at the same time. We normally, when we're relaxed, we're not really hyper-focused. It's, kind of a a free form there's not much going on whatever pops up pops up and when we're focused we're often highly strung and wound up and not relaxed and they both can work when you put the two of them together that's when the magic happens in trance state right because you've calmed down the critical mind that's always getting in the way telling us our stories saying to us you can't do that that's a silly idea but what if this happens your body relaxes so your nervous system and all of those processes that get on high alert they're all down a level but then you can dial into your own wisdom and knowledge and things that you already know because you can focus in that relaxation That's what I think is fundamentally therapeutic about the trance state. Now, when it comes to sports people, you often hear about visualization exercises, which some people will argue is not hypnosis and splitting hairs. I would say maybe it's not hypnosis, but it's still trance-like. Same as meditation. Meditation and hypnosis aren't the same state, but they are both trance-like. So, you know, there's overlaps everywhere.
1: Yeah, it's interesting with everything that you just said. You, you I'm not sure how much training you've had in yoga, but <laughs> it's um, uh, very similar to what, what you describe and how we sort of approach the, the yogic way mm-hmm. in that translate is essentially to clear the fluctuations of the mind so we can come into this state called samadhi. And mm. samadhi is that state Such when- Such a beautiful word. Oh, yeah. Okay. So you've heard. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. Have that state yeah, where please... we are t- tapped into that state of that universal consciousness, which we are all yes. connected to. So, it's removing all the obstacles that we come in through our life, through our sensory overload, removing all our patterns, our conditioning, so we can become really clear and connected to that state, so we mm-hmm. can move forward from that state. And that state is not one where it's overly relaxed or it's overly strenuous. It's just you're in that state where everything around you is just organically and naturally unfolding mm-hmm. and you're not sort of being reactive to whatever situation. You're sort of clear in that path. Um, and I guess we can think of um, the guru, right? In, in yoga, if you see some gurus who are, might look like on the outside, like they're not actually doing much, but There are stories of them, you know, building hospitals, building schools, helping thousands, sometimes even millions of people. And they're just in this state where it doesn't actually seem like they're doing much, but they are directly connected. So what separates essentially a guru's from everyone else is that they are constantly connected to that stream. They are constantly living in that state of samadhi. So I'll experience it in a meditation, perhaps not every single day depending on what's going on in my life but i will momentarily experience it from time to time sometime have a full session that's such a beautiful feeling but Mm. to maintain it as you're well aware is is no easy task (laughs) to live in that state i can't imagine what that's like but um
0: no i mean and i don't know that that's my path it's one of those things that Maybe later. Like I think you sometimes come to things at at the right time or maybe not sometimes. I think it could be all the time. You come to things at the right time. And maybe some of us are here to take on the guru role and other people are here to follow. And yeah, it's when you said Samadhi, it's like, Oh, just that the idea is such a profound idea, the concept of it. Mm. And I think my experiences with those moments, uh, the aha moment have been transient but no less beneficial to just do like something something, yeah, something came in I've got that now I can move with it uh, to answer your question or before about yoga training only as a student I, I, I haven't done any teacher training or facilitated training in yoga but i always found that the practice was an another way into the same kind of experience that the kind of experience you get through meditation you can get through moving meditation um, tai chi qigong even even certain martial arts like i've had i wouldn't call them transcendental experiences but i've been in a like heavy grappling session at jujitsu, and just n- nothing else matters. Like, you're in it. That might be the necessity not to um lose your focus when uh someone's trying to choke you unconscious. My puppy's just decided to come in. I-, I swear she was locked outside, and I don't know how she's managed to get inside. Mm. So, that's something she's just learned something new.
1: Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs>
0: She's just going to, she's going to co-pilot and co-host
1: now. Oh, amazing.
0: This is my Z master
1: right here. I can imagine. Yeah. She's in Smarty right now.
0: Yeah. She's so tuned into what's going on, right?
1: Animals, I feel for the most part, because of their presence, you know, and I, I love dogs. I mean, you could leave a dog for, you know, you walk out of the house for 10, 15 minutes or if it, if it's an apartment or something, you walk back in, and it's just like the dog's first time has seen you. I mean, what level of presence must? Oh, she's not interested. <laughs> she's like, I'm not getting enough what? attention.
0: Where's my love? Mm. She's gone. Should go chew on a stick now and give some give a stick some love. You are correct about that. It, it's it, they are they just are here right
1: now, constantly, continuously. It doesn't matter what happened one second ago. or or whatever, if you walk in that door, it's just like, wow, I'm so excited to see you, you know, whereas, you know, if my partner or something, if I leave for a day, (laughs) it's a slightly different response, right? Yeah. Maybe for a longer period of time, a week, it might be different, Uh but it's human to human interaction. What that time delay between um, interactions, right? If you see someone, if you leave the house for five minutes to come back, you're not going to get the same reaction from your partner or someone that you live with, but if you disappear for a month or a year and come back, it would take us that amount of time just to experience that same state Mm -hmm. that an animal or a dog would otherwise experience momentarily, you know, Mm -hmm. because they are in tune right at that moment.
0: Yeah. So amazing. Reminds me of, um, I think it was a, a Zen Cohen or a story about, a master trying to teach one of his students how to respond in the moment every time. So it's like, he was calling his attendant with a gong. And because he's up the hill doing his little isolation moment. So his attendant goes up the hill and says, you know, what is it master? Oh no, no, it's all right. Nothing. He does it three times. And every time the attendant just comes up and says, yes, master, what do you want? And the master's like, I was trying to teach you something, but you've taught me something because he was expecting that his student would come and say, What is it now? But the student had worked it out that it's, the, the gong just rings. I'll just go up and see what the master wants and did the same thing three times in a row without any relationship to what had happened before. Mm. And that's what, that's why well, she's not there anymore. I'm pointing to empty space, but that's what she does every time.
1: Yeah, there are quite a few Zen stories I know that are of similar lines. You know, just sort of leaving that past, being in the present, and that's essentially. I mean, there's so many ways it's been rebranded. Eckhart Tolle, the Power of Now, mm-hmm. literally the whole science of yoga is is just about becoming present to what's going on. And yeah, there's there's a uh, so much I guess that we have been conditioned in our lives, in this very sort of distracted world, and we're only becoming more distracted. So I feel like there's also a rise in people seeking these other experiences, other teachings in however they manifest, you know, qigong, tai chi, yoga, through martial arts, Mm -hmm. um, meditation. I mean, there's hundreds and hundreds, probably even thousands of disciplines and ways to you know, approach the same uh, goal mm. try and get to that same state, which is to be present. But it's a lot harder to stay present uh-huh. and live in the world yeah, and have relationships and have a job and have all this thing and, and constantly be distracted and everything's trying to take our attention. So yeah. for me, my way, my way has been, uh, through by waking up, I'm an early riser. And the way I stay grounded and present in the days I get up and I have that time to myself. So I get up about four. Mm -hmm. um, And that has been my saving grace to at least for the most part, remain present throughout the day. You know, I've got to get up and do my meditation, a little bit of a practice, a little bit of movement, however, that is a bit of a workout or something, but that keeps me really grounded, focused and present. Do I stay present all day? No, but it's it. I'm there for the most part. So,
0: I feel like it's a process. That if you're putting in the work, even if it's not a lot of effort, and and the focus is moving towards presence, then pat on the back, you did well. Go again the
1: next day. Mm. And it's um. I just I just had a thought there where. As men to achieve that state of presence so to me when i'm present it's it's the embodiment of what's going on in my overall physical body so if i'm faced with a situation or something i i I feel it in my body first Mm -hmm. and that's information coming in for me to process yes so rather than just reacting or something with the the mental mind which is you know filled with obstacles or clutter or junk for the most part it's just that sort of conditioning it's what's actually happening in our body and i feel like as men we're not really taught or we're so disconnected from our body and so it's a lot harder for us as men to stay grounded and present because we try and fix or approach situations or you know well what's going on from a mental perspective and unless we have an embodied a connection with our body Um, an embodied understanding of what it means to be present, then I feel it's really hard to just approach this state of presence just from the mind. It's been a big part of my journey as well, especially as a man, because being present as a man is very different to being present as a woman. Mm -hmm. Women are a lot more in tune with their bodies, their emotions. So it's a lot, I feel for the most part, it's a lot more natural, but as men might not be.
0: Yeah, I think there's two parts to it. One, there's the the, the difference in, uh, I was going to say geography then, which would be completely different, you know, just the, like the physical difference between the male and female body, you know, what we're born with, wherever, and, and there's a spectrum, right? So wherever you are on that spectrum, you've got what your physical body is, how all of your... Yeah, Tissues work, chemicals work, all of that kind of stuff. And then you've got what you learned. So it's, I guess we're talking nature and nurture in the sort of modern scientific vernacular, that there's there's something that you have that you deal with that gives you information, receives information, processes information in a certain way, physically. And then you've got what happens up here between your ears that you've picked up maybe as a man, you've picked it up from your dad, your stepdad, your uncle, your grandfather, some other male influence. And of course, there are the female influences as well, but as men, and this would be true for women as well. You know, I talked to my wife about this. She's, she's got patterns that she's learned from her mum and her nan and they just come down. Not necessarily trying to learn these things, but they come down. And as men, we are implicitly taught that if there's a problem, what you do is solve it. So we see things as fixed and broken. We're always taught that that's how you can be of service to help people fix their problems. So we often jump in and try and fix stuff. And this happens a lot in relationships between men and women where a woman's feeling something and a man wants to fix her not feeling a certain way rather than just <laughs> get in the feels. Right? Yeah. <laughs> just just let a... me feel it. No, mm. no, we're going to fix it instead. Mm. So this that's a great way. The way you've talked about embodying it, is such a, a powerful way of communicating what, what this is. I literally, before this call, had a session with a client and I was just like, what we need to do now is get you out of your head and back into your heart. Because when you're overthinking all of this stuff, not going the way you want, when you're feeling, it's all working out for you. And I left him with that, like, go away with that. And i hope you know, next week or the week after when we see each other again, probably next week, let's see what the feels are doing rather than the thinks. Because the thinking's just not giving you what you need. Uh, I and, and in clinic, I don't see... I want to make sure that I think this through and say it correctly. I see that more in men than in women. I see that women can be more quickly reminded to get back into their body and can drop back in. Whereas men can struggle with it. It's a huge opportunity for people like you who do this kind of work to, to lead men in that direction of let's get you back in your body and feeling. Yeah. Powerful.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so much juice in, in what you just said. <laughs> just,
0: um I have my moments of clear perspective. Yeah, yeah. I, I
1: love that. I love that. Um yeah, the the natural tendency for a man to just want to jump in and solve if we look at the male body on a physiological level, yeah. So mm-hmm. in particular our genitals, okay. So the man has a penis which is outward pointing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Whereas a woman, okay, the vagina is sort of inward. Yeah. So that is, I guess, in, in a physiological way, where our energy energies uh, how how we interpret and how we sort of express mm-hmm. our energies. Men are much more outward. We yeah. want to solve from the outside. We have tend to be a lot more. We got sort of I can link this back to yoga with Eden Pingala, sort of a little more masculine, feminine, yin yang, however you want to describe it. Um, so we tend to be more of that outward energy. And it's it's about For us as men to learn also so once we have that embodiment the invitation also is to sort of integrate that feminine side Mm -hmm. for us as well and to understand as to what's going on when a woman might be needing some time and space to process something Um, whereas you know the head can want to jump in and how can i solve it and yeah but especially in relationships where for the most part we're simple
0: For the most part, where? It was
1: simple when it comes to, oh, okay, it's, it's sort of this, or our emotional processing seems to come across as simple, but um, the way the feminine sort of process things, a whole multitude of, of colors that we are, unless we are embodied, we are unable to sort of see and recognize and feel, mm-hmm. but it ultimately comes back to that feeling state, which we have been conditioned or taught based on the outside world, not to really feel. And that that might be in relation to perhaps a lot of maybe intergenerational traumas, maybe current life traumas that we've experienced when we were young and all these protective mechanisms come in and and to try and stop us because it's just a survival uh, mechanism that kicks in to block us from feeling what it is that we need to actually feel. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And the process of getting out of that critical thinking Habit and being open enough to just dive into the body again. That steps huge for a lot of people. Huge. And there's this big shift in, you know, what's my identity about as a man, as a human? Who am I? If I start to feel more, you know, will I turn into a blubbering mess of emotions? (laughs) (laughs) And maybe is that a bad thing what if you were just more emotive all the time what if you could feel more what if you were happy to show that is it why do we need to judge that I i wonder about these things quite often because i i feel that sometimes when people come to see me the biggest problem is they're just not allowing themselves to be themselves it's the constructs around identity and role and responsibility that they're holding on to so tightly. And then self-judgment, criticism, shoulds instead of coulds, buts instead of ands, all of that comes in. Um, and I wonder what you mean, speaking of this, I wonder what you might think about uh, like yoga and Qigong as a physical practice, because the entry point for most people is a physical practice. People don't come in thinking, well, for the most part, I'm going to have a spiritual journey here and I may achieve some level of enlightenment or understanding, be connected to the global consciousness. For most people, it's about the movement. So I'm wondering what you think and what you might have seen about opening that door for people via physicality to move into embodiment. And maybe spirituality, if we want to use that term.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I have no issue using the word spirituality. Um, we can Not define me that. Either. In, in, it's just in... they're all words. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's such an interesting. I can speak from my own experience when I first mm-hmm. discovered yoga. Um coming into the practice, I guess from a yogic model, we have the five layers, we call them koshas. Um, of our being so the physical body the mental energetic the subtle body Um, and so physical mental emotional subtle and then the causal body which is that sort of that field of awareness which is around us Mm -hmm. Um, and for me it was that something that you do something sorry a practice that i was doing that there was just a feeling state yeah so my initial Uh, I guess hook into yoga was that this was unlike anything that I've felt before. I would do a practice and then you essentially do an hour class just to sit right in that state of um, almost Samadhi. Like I was definitely wasn't in Samadhi, but it's just a state where all that, those fluctuations the mental fluctuations and I'm moving body, my body in a certain way where it allows me to feel a lot more freer. Mm -hmm. So coming into the practice, I was just essentially searching for that little, that little hook, yeah, and and that would make me feel good for the entire day. Um, mm-hmm. Students I've found also have commented, especially for men. So I teach um, quite a few studios, but one of them is in particular is an all men's studio. Oh, so it's wow. just interesting yeah. to see how men and men, you know, they just want to come in and do the yoga. They want to push, 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 and it's it's almost impossible for me to to talk to these guys, because guys just want to do, they just want to push, pull on all their limbs and hamstrings and all the rest of it. Um, but, you know, we're all on our own journey and I hold space for that. But uh, it's just interesting that we do approach it um, from that physical side, but it does take time for a little of the layers to kind of come in and then for them to to sort of be a little more receptive. So yeah, it's taken me maybe about three months with some of my um students who now have come in to start to ask you know oh you know i just want to learn a little bit more or, i've just noticed the the sunshine this morning or i i i uh have students who are triathletes mm-hmm. um and who you know swim every morning they do all these, um, and then they're like oh you know i i notice myself feel a little different in the movement or breathing a little different so it's kind, of, it's kind of teaching people, and once they get that mind, body, breath connection, mm-hmm. then I think the way that consciousness starts to shift is, oh, okay, I've never actually felt or experienced this before. And then if they get the spark of curiosity to dive in a little deeper, that's when you can kind of sink into that practice of yoga and dive deep. Um, I feel that's been a lot, big part of my journey and with a lot of students that I feel um have come in and just want to go in a little bit deeper into well what's actually going on Mm. you know why what what's actually happening in this process this this unfolding through the practice of yoga and teaching people the embodiment a big part as well what i do is um i offer people time well i teach a sort of combination of qigong and yoga and sometimes combine them um but I I love sort of the free flowing movements and then they might look a little silly. I'll often encourage people to do some silly movements, shaking just to really release shaking is one of the best thing, Uh, especially for men. Cause initially you do like, you look really, really silly, but it's the fastest way to get out of your head. And it's actually impossible to hold any negative thought and physically move your body in an erratic natural way. Sure. You know, so it's just, to, you know, encouraging people to move beyond any of those patterns or conditioning or what they might look like, you know, because you you see them at the start, just like kind of shrugging their shoulders or just not moving. And it takes a bit of time. And then, you know, I have to lead the way and I don't, you know, I care very little what I look like. So I'll really go for it for to give them the permission uh-huh. to step in and be like, okay, I'm not actually being judged in this space. So there's a whole multitude of layers when we go from that physical to subtle, but it does take time and it does take regular consistent practice mm. for the most part. Um, sometimes the head gets in the way or maybe life gets in the way or other priorities get in the way, but, you know, and yoga and qigong are just two avenues. There are many, many other ways to explore our embodiment. Yeah,
0: it's so nice to hear someone open to this idea that there are so many doorways into this same practice. There's no rigidity.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't believe in that one approach, like, Oh, yoga, this is it. This is like, you know, it is a very powerful system, a very powerful Mm. tool that I studied extensively and I passionately believe in. I don't jam it down anyone's throat or try and sell it because not every practice, right. We have 7.8 billion people. There's no one way that we can, you know, they're, they're, it's, it's great that there are a multitude of ways that we get to dive deeper into its sure. practices of embodiment and understanding consciousness and life and how we can be better as human beings. And I feel like as long as the practice that you're doing is making you feel better, it is making you a better human being, whether it's a man, a woman, husband, wife, child, what you know, um, whatever position you're in in life, that's that goal that we're trying to achieve is to be better human beings. Mm-hmm. live a higher possibility and support the evolution of consciousness
0: yeah yeah i like that i, I could t- i could tell you without a word of a lie that 20 years ago if you had tried to talk to me in this way i, I my, would have come down and it would have all just been about the language nothing else conceptually all made made perfect sense But just the language. And I think that gets in the way a lot with people. You talk about consciousness. And instead of someone not understanding what that is and being able to ask, what do you mean by that? And the hand goes out and push it away. I have to hold on to what I am right now. And okay, that's okay for you. But when you're ready, come back around.
1: Exactly. That that I, I, yeah, it, it just, literally describe myself i had so much resistance so prior to being a yogi i was a day trader for about 10 years Mm -hmm. and so many because i had a i had was a highly stressful like work life huge party animal i was just go 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 you anyone who even mentioned the word yoga meditation back then i was just like would ridicule it would push it away would shut it off i just knew at the time it was not ready yeah. So it's just really holding space for that person to go on their journey and then when they're ready to greet them with open arms.
0: Yeah, one more so. time around the sun. <laughs>
1: See you next time we come around. Or, or another 10 or 20, it depends. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly right. And that's fine. That's fine. I mean, I've had so many clients through the years who've done one or two sessions and disappeared. And I can remember at the start, That was like, oh, okay, it's got to be me. I'm the only common denominator here. But no, take yourself out of the equation, Adam. You might have just been a stepping stone on this person's journey. You have contributed in some way. Maybe you're not right for them. But it's their journey, not yours. (laughs) So it's like, okay, whack, get out of your own head, mate. What are you doing this time? being ridiculous hey talk to me about this idea of um and i liked i liked it as soon as i read it and again this is one of those things that if i had read this a little while ago i would have gone ah i don't know how to connect to that divine masculine embodiment coach i feel like we could probably talk for about a week just on those four words because Mm -hmm. there's a bunch of stuff going on there
1: there's there's a lot there so the word divine is essentially to honor both the light and the dark aspects of the masculine so we have you know there's the dark masculine we also have the divine masculine uh, which is the light and the dark of our self and then our shadow self and then also for the feminine and then these aren't gender specific it is just a certain type of energy and consciousness so in this world that's
0: important to the discussion isn't it
1: It is, it is because people think masculine, they think, okay, male, well, no, we all, uh, we all have, whether you are, whatever gender you identify with, we have masculine energy, we have feminine energy, Mm -hmm. yeah, but then within those, they, they also have a light and a dark, it's essentially, you know, a big part of this world is that we need duality, so consciousness, tying it back to yoga, we live in this field of universal intelligence and awareness, yeah, in yoga, we call this Brahma. This is the, you can call this God, you can call it Wonka Tonka, you can call it the dream time. Different cultures try and describe that same thing, but it's that non judgmental field of universal intelligence and awareness. Mm-hmm. When that trickles down into this human form, into our own mind, we need this world of duality to kind of go out and exist. And a big part of that duality is the light and the dark, the yin, the yang, the masculine, the feminine, the divine and the dark. So that's essentially that word divine is honoring both the light and the dark. Embodiment means to have a physical embodied understanding. It's not, you know, we're not just caught up in our head. Mm-hmm. Um, and then masculine, because I specifically am working with men at the moment. So, yeah. And um, I'm, I'm no expert by any chance. I should just put that out there. This is a, quite a new field for me to explore um, and stepping into my role, uh, as a coach as well. So powerful. Yeah. And I, I just feel an immense sense of alignment to be of service to men in this way. And a big stepping stone was, well, what's kind of shifted was my relationship with men, um, my friends, my friendships, the way I interacted, you know, perhaps in business relationships, my relationship with my father, but also how I show up, um, as a partner as well so all these questioning yeah so how my physical world would manifest always was an invitation for me to dive a little deeper well why is this pattern keep repeating with certain friendships or certain relationships or mm-hmm. well, what's going on there so there's always something for me to come back to and explore and um, just to be quite frank I feel that it's very hard for me to talk about this, not not to link back things to sort of parenting and, and growing up um, because that's where most of our conditioning happens from mm-hmm. sort of zero to seven. Um, Definitely. But we live in a time where, you know, I didn't really have male role models growing up and that's a big thing for me. Um, eventually, my role models were people with a lot of money, right? As you tend to... <laughs> kind of gravitate to maybe in your mid-20s as, as a male we think of money as being the sense of power or something mm-hmm. um, but then even that questioning my career my relationship with money all these paths led me to explore this light and dark side of, of the the masculine energy um, maybe I'll share some of the different qualities of each perfect sure, so some of the divine, I would say, uh, things like uh, integrity. Uh, this is the, so, yeah, sort of the divine masculine integrity. We have a lot of doing energy. Yeah. So we are mm, typically maybe, so that's quite important if you want to, you know, because sometimes also in the spiritual, if you get too spiritual, we don't really kind of ground that through this material world. We can just like live up in the Himalayas and nothing happens which to me it sort of defeats the purpose of life, um, no judgment. But part of the, uh, um, the doing is, is really important as a masculine. It's a, quite a masculine quality. Uh, things like loyalty, honor, respect, our intellect, uh, ability to be uh, stable, hold space, strength, um, our warrior spirit. We could be saints, kings. We're disciplined, um, structured, organized, uh reflecting uh logical rational reasonable reasonable um we're protectors Mm -hmm. yeah so that's a big part of uh that sort of divine masculine uh the dark masculine are things like greed ambition controlling over dominant aggression selfishness we could be overtly lazy transactional in our relationships Mm -hmm. uh overdrive because if we're stuck in our head, we're constantly in that overdrive and then being overly ambitious. The need to seek validation, achievements, status, success, um, getting, so not so much being of service and offering, but then the getting aspects so just trying to achieve for oneself, hierarchical, climbing the ladder, Um, juvenile, stubborn and then unreasonable so the aspects i guess of that dark or what i like to call so is the disembodied masculine
0: mm-hmm.
1: um some qualities oh, okay. oh, yeah yeah uh the divine feminine is uh, creative energy so creative nurturing caring empathic compassionate sensitive highly intuitive very embodied <laughs> uh liberated sensual could be the queen the mother healers uh self-care they're inclusive and collaborative and to me i think uh, that sense of inclusiveness is the one i resonate with most in in the divine feminine and mm-hmm. i think it's missing um, for the most part uh in a lot of today's world And then we have the dark side of the feminine, which could be, you know, bitchy, needy, uh, maybe entangled, entitled, enmeshed, just to name a few. Um, So, yeah.
0: There's a lot to digest right there.
1: Sorry, there wasn't a lot to digest. No, <laughs> I can, Brother, you do not apologize. I could talk for hours about this. I couldn't, but That's yeah. Like, I mean, it's
0: <laughs> it's, in, it's important, like as you're structuring a coaching practice and your own, you know, your own journey grows as you coach other people, having these um, concepts and words that you can use to communicate to other people and talk through. so important. It's so important. um, I've had ways of thinking about wholeheartedness, which is sort of what the word I use, which I unashamedly stole from Brené Brown. And so like my idea of what wholehearted living is, and I've got all these words that I put together in my, and I was talking to a friend just before a wonderful breathwork session earlier this week. And he said, so they're the pillars of, of wholeheartedness. And I was like, "Ah, oh, pillars. Right. That's what they are. Okay. Now I've got it. And now I can start speaking about that. And that will, from a business point of view, which it's not about, well, it will attract people in. But from a service point of view, it'll attract even more people that can pick it up and run with it, regardless of whether there's any financial back and forth. Okay, that's why these words are important. These concepts are important because we have these ideas and often we cannot communicate them physically. We have to use intellect to communicate. We have to use voice or some uh, analog of voice, sign language, um, written word. So language is the way we get it done. It's the way we interact because there's very few times that there's an understanding that if I put my hand on you here, that it means this. And that's, that sort of intimacy we often don't have when we're early part of a relationship, especially in this coaching context. So having the words is so important. I was just sitting here. I actually, when you started reading out the feminine, I closed my eyes just so I could listen to them without having that distraction of, watching you and anything else in my space i could hear it it's like, yeah yeah and some of them i'd heard before with this discussion and some of them like oh that's really cool but the one that stuck out for me and i think it's because it's come up in a couple of these conversations is intuition and so i've been looking into lately how the masculine and for me at the moment because i'm involved in a men's circle and i'm doing a bunch of work around men's wellness masculine and the Physical male are pretty tightly connected to each other. So again, this is not neglecting the idea of the feminine and the female and women. But what I have noticed is some men in my circle starting to shift towards intuition rather than it all having to be about logic. So they're moving out of uh, critical thinking into feeling. And that's something for a long time that, for me, on a very personal level, has been like, no, everything is logic. You've got to think it all through. And and um, I uh, I'm not sure, but maybe it's the shifter in and around being isolated, a little bit disconnected, having more time to work things through. That I notice a shift, and it could be, it could just be that that's on my radar and that's what I'm picking up. But intuition is popping up a lot for me at the moment in terms of that the masculine can do more in that area to connect with intuition and that there may be opportunities there for growth.
1: Mm. Yeah, I just, uh, I, going, going from that place, I feel like we're not really taught to surrender because intuition requires us to completely surrender our mind, our beliefs, etc., and tap into a whole new field of awareness. And that is not something that could be logically described. It can't be put into words. You need to surrender any conceptions or belief systems that you have and to receive that state, that intuition, because it's so subtle, intuition is a very, very, very subtle thing. So not only do you have to be embodied and be feel connected. Um, as a man to your body but also learn to listen to your body Mm -hmm. listen to the signs because they're subtle and they'll only come momentarily and if you're quite heady you know the signs will just get louder and louder and louder through life um, and also in your body but um, there's a there's a level of surrender that's required to tap into that state or that space of uh, intuition. Mm. Mm. Intuition.
0: Yep. Did, mm. Yeah. I I, um, I don't know if you've paid any attention to this, but there's something that I've seen in what would unfortunately be called the self-help industry or the personal development industry. Unfortunately, the terminology makes it sound a little bit, oh, I get a bit of a yuck feeling when I think of self-help. <laughs> In so insofar as it's become an industry rather than a service. But I don't know if you notice, but over I'd say the last five years, if not a little bit longer, this term vulnerability keeps coming up. And it's almost getting co-opted now, where it's becoming one of these words where you're like, ugh, yuck. But in its essence, I think that's a really important thing to understand that all of this stuff that you want is on the other side of letting go and being vulnerable. Let go of the mask you put on. Let go of the facade. Let go of having to know everything and be right all the time. Let go of having to be the one in power, being the smartest person in the room. Because it's not until you do that that, that all, all of the good comes. And if you think about it, we've always, in some way, allowed ourselves to be vulnerable. Just go to school, you're vulnerable. You have peers. Yeah? anything could happen there you're going to be somewhere in the pecking order you've got teachers who you have to be subordinate to in order to learn you can't walk in with your cup already full so there's already all this stuff that we've done to be vulnerable and yet we somehow resist vulnerability as a positive trait and i wonder especially when we're talking about men if there is a resistance to vulnerability because we've always been taught we have to be strong, we have to be ready to fight, we have to be ready to protect and defend. So it's always the shield and the sword kind of idea. You, you, you know, it you, you wouldn't be like that, opened up, showing your you know, vulnerable areas to attack. And maybe there's a misconception in and around that. So when you talk about surrendering. Which, you know, my my language around that would be letting go. Same concept.
1: Same concept, yep.
0: Maybe that's where the conversation goes instead of talking about vulnerability because there's not the connotation that it's a negative. Because surrender can be such a beautiful, blissful thing. Surrender to the moment. Rather, it's not necessarily surrender to your enemy. It's not giving up. In a negative sense, give up what you don't need to allow something that you do need to come in. It's so a surrender. Is beautiful. What, mm. what, what has been your experience in and around the idea of vulnerability?
1: Um, I never allowed myself to be vulnerable in my previous career. Mm. Uh, I was that type, I, I built up my life to be. Um, Again, super strong, that alpha male, high-flying career, built up so many layers of of armor. I never, ever allowed myself to be vulnerable. But that armor that I was building was just protecting me, all protective mechanisms, Mm -hmm. stopping me from being vulnerable. I never allowed myself to to be momentarily, momentarily, (laughs) once every, I don't know, six months or something, there'd be a moment or two, but... Yeah, um, I had to go through, uh, I, w- I guess I would call it the school of life or uh, be bit slapped by the universe quite a few times. And it was, wasn't was until one final moment, I um, might as well just share it, where I was faced with decisions, um, you know, I was locked up in a cell for about 12 hours. I had to run in with the law, with the police. Um I've always had some sort of run ins a few times in my life, but this mm-hmm. one was quite a big run in. Run in. Um, and then that happened twice in the space of two weeks. Right. And in a nutshell, there was a moment where s- certain things, the way the situation unfolded, where I could not logically explain them. And so I wanted answers. And I sat with myself for, I actually deleted my number and I sat alone. For 30 days, right? Just about four weeks, um, just completely in isolation, just trying to figure out what what to do with my life. And it was at that moment where I completely, completely surrendered and let go. Uh, and I had this experience of release. You know, you can imagine what was I at the time? It was about 30. There was just about 12 odd hours of me just releasing, shedding tears, being being me letting go, um, just allowing myself to feel to feel vulnerable. You know, I was holding on to things like the loss of a couple of really close friends, you know, stuff to do for my childhood. There was a whole multitude of things that just kind of flashed that I was holding on to that I never allowed myself to feel. So I surrendered and then tapped in. And once I tapped into that for that first time, I never looked back. I realized there, there was uh, this potency Mm -hmm. in being vulnerable um and it's not something that's easy to do you know it's still a work in progress for me um you know maybe new career new relationships etc and um but it's there's definitely uh, uh a lot there behind being vulnerable um you know i'm making a career out of it my vulnerabilities you know sharing it stepping into it yeah um there's a lot of Strength. You can feel someone. You know. You mentioned Brené Brown. When when women tap into their vulnerabilities and they come out as as coaches in their respective field or in that you know, there's so much power and strength in that. You know, and I I really look up to that. Um, even as a man looking at a woman who can really be in tune and tapped into that really vulnerable space, um, and then find ways of expressing that. There's a lot of strength and courage that it ta- uh, that comes through that space, and I feel as you know we kind of just go on this life this journey of life quite blindly in essence the most vulnerable creature in this entire universe is a human baby human babies are the most sensitive vulnerable creatures ever to to be on this earth if you leave a baby alone untouched for about a month and as in no physical contact the baby will die you know if it was fed by a machine or something else so There's an aspect of vulnerability which makes us human. We are born vulnerable. So, how how are we denying this as a part of our souls? It is, I feel, the most fundamental aspect of being a human being, this sense and state of, of vulnerability. So there's a lot of wisdom in vulnerability, but it's learning to remove the conditionings, the patterns, the belief systems. And, you know, you mentioned that you operate and, and run sort of men's circles, coaching work. It's it's creating containers of safety mm-hmm. where we can create the space and hold the space
0: yeah.
1: to allow people to feel safe to come into that because it's not something we learned. It's probably pushed apart. Most, most of us aren't even... I wasn't aware of it for 30 years. You know, I was holding on to so much stuff. I couldn't even comprehend what was going on i had to go through these extreme experiences for me to learn to tap into that to that space Um,
0: yeah so many doors so many ways in
1: so many ways in yeah yeah
0: that's great yeah um yeah i I might just need to sit in silence for a while Well, that's right. I, I, I'm do. just dead set. I love where these conversations head to because I, I'm literally going for a walk after we um, conclude our time together today and it will be, huh. And I think it'll be this, yeah, we're back on surrender and letting go and vulnerability and just the way that you explain it, then will lead me down a path of, okay, you know, how can I feel into that? What does that tell me about the experiences of people around me? What you were talking about men's groups. When I was in Melbourne five, six years ago, not even on the radar, like the concept was foreign. I was getting that through some cr- close friends like that, that safe space to talk, but in a completely different way, in a completely different way. And then joining and going through a process with some men here in, and, building this amazing circle of brotherhood. And you don't think you can get any deeper and more vulnerable and, and more raw and honest and true. And then the next fortnight you go back and it goes deeper still. And you know to be able to sit with men and again, it doesn't have to be men. It's just that's my experience. I mean, I'm doing work with men, and be that open and know that you're safe and that you're held and that you're supported. I mean, I want every man to experience that. And then my sisters as well, in their own way, if there's a woman's circle, I'm sure there's a place for joint circles, for partners to go to, like these sacred spaces of love and support. And like, I, I wish that for everyone. Um, yeah, it's just powerful stuff
1: I love that you wish that you. I love that you wish that for everyone and it's you know uh, part of our human we've sort of been deconditioned you know there's, there's so many so many layers to this so many layers to this typically tribes of humans what were we maybe one to two hundred you know and so we received mm-hmm. that support each particular member of a tribe played a certain role. So we had all our needs met, our emotional needs, our physical, Mm. our mental, yeah. Um, But it's now that we've moved into the way the world is at the moment, high-density living, go, go, go. um, I attribute that to not being, we, we place our values in the wrong direction. So collectively, as a society, if you look at a nation, um, we place GDP as as how we define wealth of a nation, Mm -hmm. okay? GDP, gross domestic production. We give value and power to nations based on how much they produce. Yeah. Not about the quality of life, not about the quality of consciousness, not about how vulnerable people could be, not about meeting the needs of children or the rest of it, but just on production. So when you place that need, that highest value as production, it it sort of manifests in in the material sense, yeah? Um, But going back, production was not the highest value when we sort of live in tribes, but when we move from this, having all our needs met in small communities to this high density living in current world climate, I feel like there's a, there's almost this shift back, yeah? So with men's circles, what what are we essentially doing? We're we're sort of creating small communities to take us back into uh, to meeting all those needs, yeah, the mental, the physical, and the emotional. Um, and so, in essence, we are, you know, doing by doing this work, we're you know creating containers for people to explore that and to have all our needs met. Truth.
0: There's something to be said about that, the tribal experience and the ceremony, you know, in and around those moments. You know, a, a men's circle, in, in my experience, is there is a respect for the sanctity of that circle. After the welcome, everyone sits down, finds their space, we sort of light a candle, set an intention. And then there's an invitation to speak openly and honestly, honestly with, and we have a talking stick, which is sort of a ceremonial thing. It's been used in tribes for thousands of years. Once you've got the stick, you get to talk and everyone else listens. No one gets to speak up and solve your problems or tell you why you're a dickhead or an asshole or wonderful or the best thing since sliced bread. No, everyone. You
1: ever had a situation where someone didn't want to give that stick up? (laughs)
0: Uh, yes, but it's always been honoured. Okay. what yeah, uh, because in my in my experience, no one's ever been up on a pedestal, pedestal, uh, you know, espousing something like orating or anything like that. It's I am feeling this way now. This is what's happened in in my life and my experience this week or this past two weeks or whatever the period of time is, and this is how I feel about it. And this is what I am fearing, and this is what I'm worried about, and this is this is what's happening for me right now. So if someone needs to talk for forty five minutes out of two hours, go for it, brother. We'll listen. Um, it's profound sometimes. I mean, I've I've been there, and I've said, no, I'm not speaking. I don't need to speak. I need to listen because I don't have anything to add about my experience. But I can. I, I know that I can. I can fill my cup. By listening to all the other men, because their stories will remind me that I'm normal. Yeah, I'm part of this. <clears throat>
1: mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and it's nice to think about. It's like emo- see my throat now, like it's emotional, right? Just thinking about that support.
1: It is. Yeah. It's beautiful to be held in that container, to be seen exactly for who you are. Mm-hmm. And there's a, you know, it really those containers bring everyone in. There's a sense of presence. Um, it's very difficult to be distracted. And um, even for heady guys coming into a circle or a container, there's a sense of presence, and I feel that it's that presence that may, that may have not felt in, in other, you know, throughout their life or relationships or friendships. So
0: And there's something about other men or other people paying you that respect and attention and listening to your story and holding that space for you that quite possibly isn't found anywhere else because people, you know, like a normal conversation, you know that the person you're talking to is thinking about the next intelligent thing to say rather than listening to what you're saying.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's um, that, yeah, mo- most conversations happen, I guess, when we're in alpha state through the mind, so mm-hmm. we're in that high. So, yeah, um, I imagine through the c- circles. You know, we always start with a real grounding meditation practice. Mm-hmm. In fact, actually, not just with men's circles, I've noticed that some of the other projects I'm working on. Whenever I'm in a situation when there's when we all ground ourselves through a little bit of breath work or something to start, I mean that just shifts the entire mm-hmm. way that that yeah, yeah. meeting. Even if, if it's a business meeting, if it's something just completely shifts, changes everything. And so there's something to say about that. I've noticed going back a little bit, you were mentioning language a lot. This is something that I've sort of been exploring a lot um, in sort of how we communicate the words that we use. Mm -hmm. Um, Not that I want to get into it now, but just to take this current pandemic situation. And if you look at the polarities about, you know, one group being hardcore anti and the other one being sort of hardcore pro at the extreme ends in Mm -hmm. essence. And if you dive dive deep into both sides, just to see what's being communicated, Mm. I feel there's that, do we really know how to communicate as human beings from one human to another? Yeah. Um, there is no right, one right way of thinking it's it's absolutely, there's no one right model that works for 7.8 billion people sure many people have tried that in history and if we you know how does that end up yeah despots despots but but where does that come from that inability to communicate or just to hear another person Mm -hmm. you know without our filters without our judgments without just wanting to jump in without wanting to change your opinion so that it can be right with mine so it can be aligned with mine so i can feel Mm -hmm. safe if you're on side because if you're not if you don't have the same thoughts, beliefs, actions as me, then what do I see you as a threat? Mm-hmm. So it's a big part language. Um, and I feel like moving into this, you know, what are we now? 2021, 20, losing track of time. But this decade is, is an important time to really reflect on how we communicate the language that you're using as human beings. Because clearly, you know, as a collective, do we really know how to communicate and use language properly with each other?
0: Well, yeah, for, for me, studying the importance of language and words as as I mean, from a clinical practice with what I do, I I have to. If if I use the wrong language, then the impact is lessened. It could even reverse it. I could it could make the whole thing sink, right? And yet. I feel that when we're, to use your word, when we're embodied, that, that the correct language comes naturally. And I think you touched on something that was really just really quite amazing, that if there's a process at the start of even a business meeting, which would be unheard of in most circumstances, and it's it's kind of expected in a men's circle, that process of, all right, it's time to put down all of that shit from outside. We're going to do a process of a couple of minutes. It might be some breath work. It might be meditation, might be visualization, whatever it is. It's the circuit breaker on the day. And almost invariably, whatever people are bringing in just gets thrown out. So preconceptions, ideas of how a meeting should go, what I'm going to say to this person because that person's going to say that. Or in the men's circle, how I feel about where I'm going to sit, who I'm going to be sitting next to. They seem like silly, inconsequential things. It all goes away. We can all start level playing field, come in. We're not up here, out of our heads. And again, to use that word, you brought, brought to my attention, embodied. Then we can communicate clearly because we're not looking for the right words. We're not trying to outthink each other or outthink ourselves. It just comes out. And then I think even if we use the wrong words in that way, it can be received differently. So it's almost like you could say speaking from the heart rather than from the head. And when you're listening from the heart as well, if someone uses the wrong word, you don't necessarily flip out and go straight on the front foot and attack because you used a word that's not supposed to be used there or that sentence means this. And that. you can sit back and go, hang on a moment. Maybe the language is not what I want to hear, but the sentiment is.
1: is yeah, it... I love that when you, that sentient uh, uh, sentiment, oh, sorry, sentient <laughs> sentiment. Bit of both. Uh, bit, bit of both. Uh, I just felt into, um, you, you know, what do they say? I think 10% of communication is verbal. Yeah. So mm. if we are embodied, Yeah, it what that sort of it's that energy and that physical, or really not non-physical in a sense, but coming being communicated through the physical Mm. body. This is what's actually being transferred, you know. So it's I guess that
0: information
1: giving up that that space of the head that I'm going to be communicating this, that the other, and taking all those. I wanted to use this word that word the other not saying not discounting language language is very important but it's also the sense that when we are embodied then our language sort of naturally changes mm. as well and most of that communication happens from that embodied space so for instance in this conversation you know the way it's sort of flowing and we're bouncing and feeding off each other's energies and not trying to you know interrupt or jump in etc so there's that energy exchange, even though it's, um, online, we're sort of Mm. going, tapping into that heart space and communicating from that space. Um, yeah, as opposed to just that, that interrupting (laughs) wanting to be seen one
0: upmanship or whatever it is.
1: Mm. Mm. The,
0: when you were talking then, I just had this flash of my relationship with my wife and when, disagreements work out well and when they don't and regardless of who is at fault if there is such a thing the escalation is almost always in and around trying to beat the other person in the argument (laughs) rather than rather than work out what started it in the first place Mm. and that's sort of like playing a game in the mind rather than what were, what were we really, what did, what was, what was the crux of this anyway? Huh. <laughs> it just flashed into my mind that, but lately my wife and I have worked at this lovely common ground of being able to work through things, no matter how prickly they are. And sort of a level of understanding, which is a beautiful thing. And you know, it's like 15 years later, but that just flashed into my head that that's, that's like a, a conversation that is in the body, not in the, in the head like connected feeling through it and being compassionate in and around that discussion.
1: Yeah. Wow. Mm. It's 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 interesting Mm. Um, what our partners can bring out in us.
0: Puppies, Mm. partners, children, (laughs) you know, these wonderful reflections. Yeah. Full house. Oh yeah. Never a dull moment for a dull moment it's a beautiful thing brother I'm going to thank you for your time because I feel that I need some just calm processing time to mull over that uh, what you shared Uh, I really appreciate it
1: Mm, likewise likewise I I really really um love the chat and such a blessing and honor to meet you in this space This is our first chat for anyone listening. This is the first time I've actually chatted to Adam.
0: That's a beautiful thing to be able to have a connected conversation first time around.
1: Yeah, it is. Thank you, brother. Won't be the last. And uh, thank you for your time as well.